generally, we think that people are following both a more accurate iteration of God by following the conservative traditions of their faith and, and that they are following a totally true iteration of God. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is the human mind is unable to really conceive of a four-dimensional space. And we think of God as like a, a four-dimensional entity in this, this metaphor. When a person is looking at the shadow of a three-dimensional cube, and they just go as the shadow that was projected, and they say, this is what a cube is, they are actually saying something that is 100% true. They are seeing a full and complete revelation of that cube as that cube can be revealed to someone of their intellect in that time in history. If mm -hmm. we were evangelizing to an average person, that evangelization doesn't look like follow us. It looks like a go back to your traditions because yeah. that's the closest to truth you're going to get. Would you like to know more? Hello, you beautiful creature. Hello, you beautiful creature. You are the best, Simone. And we are going to have a conversation today about a topic that I briefly touched on in the Our Religion video topic, but I want to get a lot deeper on because one of the real risks around any religious belief system that believes that there can be multiple revelations from God or multiple prophets, and this is why... <clears throat> most of the more simple religious systems will say, no, no more prophets after this one, nothing <laughs> else counts after this one, um, because it's easy to pass that culture with intergenerational fidelity, because if you don't, then any random person who's like a fucking magician can come along and claim, um, yeah, I'm the next prophet, you know, or yeah, no take backsies. you can get the softening of the religion. So a lot mm -hmm. of people who will say something like every religion has an element of truth, they say this in an attempt to soften their religious framework, right? Going with logic that if all religions have an element of truth to it, if any religion allows some behavior they want to undertake, then all religions should allow it. Or that if any religion doesn't demand some action or penance from them, then no religion should demand that action or penance from them. You know, mm -hmm. they, they, and, and you, you've seen people who do this. They have some like weird hippie nonsense as their belief system and it's just <laughs> pointless. And they, they, form a, they end up forming what we call in the book, The Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion, a super soft culture or a super yes. soft religious framework. Yes. So when a person is building a world framework outside of um, any traditions or outside of science, like when you have dug down to the bottom, completely drained the ocean of their mind, a lot of people think what is under there is secularism and it mm -hmm. is not secularism, you know, when practiced rigidly is, is actually very, it can have a lot of religious aspects to it that cause people to go against their basal instincts. Instead, mm -hmm. what you find is this sort of like pre-programmed human religion, I guess I'd call it. It's, it's, the scars of our evolutionary history you know it's 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 yeah. the belief that we're all connected we're all sort of one they'll yeah. often have fetishes when i say a fetish i don't mean like a sexual fetish i mean like an item that they believe has some sort of power to it like a crystal mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. like that they often believe that humans are divided into distinct categories you know this would be like astronomy uh or is it astrology 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 <laughs> astrology yeah. or like you know and 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 i'm not saying that you know the the secularists can't fall into this with stuff like myers-briggs nonsense or like mm. in, in in japan you know you got your blood types blood type, yeah. um but if you want to go into that go into the pragmatist guide to crafting religion we go really deep into 
super soft cultures. To go over some of the aspects of super soft cultures I forgot to discuss here, they often have ceremonies tied to forgetting an adherent's identity while dancing. They often attribute agency to inanimate objects or animals. And they often attribute power to intention. We call this the power of wishy thinking. Face. What is it? The simple answer is, we don't know. Or at least we didn't know until now. Hello, I'm Douglas Renham, and I'm not a scientist, but I do have a better understanding of what space is than any scientist living today. Where did I gain these insights? From this man, the founder of Spaceology, Beth Gargar Shaggy. Is the founder of Spaceology a religion, not a cult? In other words, when it comes to space, he's the man with his head screwed on tight. This is what he told me when I met him on holiday. Space is invisible mind dust, and stars are but wishes. I mean, think about that. That means every star you can see in the night sky is a wish that has come true. And they've come true because of something he calls space star ordering. Space star ordering is based on the twin scientific principles of star maths and wishy thinking. If that doesn't convince you, well then, maybe you just don't deserve to get what you want. And they are really dangerous. Like, people are like, well, how is that not obvious that that's the true culture? Like, if it seems to be pre-programmed into us, and, mm -hmm. and the answer is, well, because cultures that fall into those practices almost immediately die out. Mm. It, 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 is, it is not an effective culture. It does not seem to help people do well in our current world or environment. A examples of God is love. Like that would be like a super yeah. soft culture thing to say, where they often see this sort of interconnectedness of all of humanity, God being this vague, like emotional state, et cetera, et cetera. We definitely do not take that perspective at all. And I think that that perspective is really dangerous and it's always a danger if you are in a, in a culture that is looking for truth and believes that truth has come through multiple iterations. So you have one, the new prophet problem where a new prophet comes up and says, I'm the last prophet and here's the new thing I'm adding. Or you have the problem of just like the general beginning. And then somebody may say, well, but then why would you run the risk of teaching your kids that there will be other prophets in the future or that there have been multiple prophets after any of the core prophets? Well, for two reasons. One is just the logical reason that we went over last time. It would seem very capricious for God to give a message that you needed to know to be saved to people in ancient Israel and then not have that message spread to people in the Americas for like a thousand years. Or you know, all of the people who would have lived and died before that message was released. That seems overly capricious to me. Instead, we think God has always done his best in giving people the fullest prophecy they could comprehend in their time period and that could realistically become widely believed within their time period for, for each cultural group. But two, and more importantly, if you are part of any of the major Judeo-Christian traditions, they all say this very explicitly, that there will be future prophets. So if you, and a lot of people don't know this because the iterations of those traditions that pretend like the Bible or the Quran or Mormons are, are much more aware that their books say this than other traditions, but the iterations that pretend like they say there's not going to be any more prophets, they have an easier time spreading for the reason that we've talked about before. And they stay healthier in terms of intergenerational cultural transfer than the ones who accept what's actually written in the books. So for Christians, if you look at something like Matthew 23, 34, Jesus says, quote, therefore I am sending you prophets 
and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town, end quote. This indicates pretty clearly that more prophets are going to come after him. In Acts 2.17, Peter quotes the prophet Joel saying, quote, In the last days I will pour out for my spirit upon everyone. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In Ephesians 3.5, Paul refers to the prophets and apostles in the early church, saying that there were like active prophets in the early church. In Revelation 11.10, there is a reference to two prophets that will come in the end times. So all pretty clear indications there's going to be more prophets. If you look at Mormons, when a journalist asked Joseph Smith if he was the prophet of God, he said yes, and so is everyone else with the testimony of Jesus. So for Mormons, everyone is literally a prophet to some extent. We don't believe that. Well, kind of, but we believe that some people have much more clear prophecies than others. If you look at the Book of Mormon, Nephi says, quote, there came many prophets prophesying unto the people that they must repent, or the great city Jerusalem would be destroyed. That's 1 Nephi 1.4, or in Enos 1.2.2, Enos said that there were, quote, exceedingly many prophets among them, end quote. Now you might be thinking, yeah, 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 but I have heard from Muslim preachers that their book definitely says that Muhammad was the last prophet. Well, what their book actually says is, quote, Muhammad is not the father of any of your men, but he is the messenger of God and the seal of the prophets. And God has full knowledge of all things. That's Quran 33:40. That's what they use. The line that's most commonly used to argue that the Quran says Muhammad is the last prophet. It doesn't really say that, though. It, it says that God knows all things, not that Muhammad knows all things. It also says that Muhammad is the seal of the prophets, but that can mean one of any number of things. And when you take it in the context of other quotes from the Quran, it seems pretty clearly not to mean that he is the last prophet of all times. So if you look at, for example, Quran 1636, For we sent amongst every people a messenger, with the command, serve God and eschew evil. So there's a messenger for every people. And then Quran 35:24. Verily, we have sent you with the truth as a bearer of glad tidings and a warner. And there never was a nation but a warner passed through them. So there's never been a country without a prophet. And then, quote, Indeed, we have sent it down to you as an Arabic Quran that you might understand it. This is Quran 12.2. So this is, if it's sent down in Arabic so you may understand it, this is clearly speaking to Arabic speakers and the Arabic community. Muhammad was meant to be the prophet to the Muslim community, and that is what it says in the Quran. So much so that it, it says, you know, similar to we believe, which is very interesting that Islam has a lot in common with our beliefs, or at least what's written in the Quran has a lot in common with our beliefs, is that the different revelations were meant for different people. So 548, and we sent down to you the book in truth confirming what was before it of the scripture and as a criterion over it. So judge between them by what God has revealed, and do not follow their inclinations away from what has come to you of the truth. This is 548. So that's saying that the Quran was meant to confirm both the Christian Bible and the Jewish Bible as true, but conform it as true for their people, as can be seen in some of these other lines. So you've got 547. 
So let the people of the Christian gospel judge by what God has revealed in it, and those who do not judge by what God has revealed in it are truly rebellious. That seems exceedingly clear to me that the Quran is saying that Christians who don't follow what are in the Bible are living in open rebellion to God. Now look at Quran 2.62. Surely those who believe, and those who are Jews, and the Christians, and the Sabians, whoever believes in God and the last day, and does good, they shall have their reward from the Lord, and there will be no fear for them, nor shall they grieve. So again, this is saying that you get rewarded if you're a Christian for following the Christian scriptures, if you're a Jew for following the Jewish scriptures, and if you're a Muslim for following the Muslim scriptures, and that every country has a warner. So presumably there's many more warners than just these warners. Now you might say, why don't I hear this from my Muslim friends? And the answer is, is because a religion that's structured this way is just going to do a very bad job at spreading, as you can see with us. Like, there is no reason to proselytize an iteration of a faith that thinks that most people already have a correct faith. So those iterations of Islam that followed what the Quran actually said didn't spread as far as the iterations that didn't. And the way or the story we will use with our kids to help them get around this and also understand the value of hard cultural traditions is the tesseract the tesseract model of god uh, we'll call it or the four-dimensional model of god so i i talked about this briefly but i'd like to go a bit deeper into it so for people who are not familiar how four-dimensional shapes work vis-a-vis three-dimensional two-dimensional shapes so a one-dimensional shape is a line mm -hmm. a two-dimensional shape is like a flat drawing like a square would be a two-dimensional shape a three-dimensional shape is something like a cube and a four-dimensional shape a four-dimensional cube is a tesseract now we as humans cannot perceive four-dimensional shapes we can't even think about them it is it is no human can think about a four-dimensional shape very interesting story here the guy who invented the concept of the tesseract and and was a real prodigy of four-dimensional space what he thought is he's like okay i as a person don't often engage with three-dimensional spaces and maybe if i engaged with three-dimensional spaces more i would have a better time being able to imagine what a four-dimensional shape would look like like Reasonable. in my developmental stages yeah. so he invented the do you know what he invented the jungle gym the jungle gym yes he created a jungle gym, but these early jungle gyms were just three-dimensional grids that kids mm -hmm. would climb within. And I and remember he, there was one in like one of my top childhood playgrounds. It was sufficiently dangerous and perfect. The, the One of these total four-dimensional grids, I mean, mm -hmm. three-dimensional grids. Yeah, mm -hmm. and he, he would label the points on it with different things and be like, go to point A, three, B or something. You know? Oh um, my God. And the kids would have to run like that was the game he played to the point. So he tried to... Turns out it did not help his kids be able to imagine four-dimensional shapes. It just turns out that humans are not biologically equipped to imagine a four-dimensional shape because there was no evolutionary pressure for our brains to be able to do that. So why would they? I mean, our brains need to be able to really, really well understand three-dimensional space because humans, just, just so people don't know, like evolutionarily, one of humans' big advantages, like other than intelligence and persistence, is our ability to throw things with high accuracy. Other animals don't have anything like this. Most other animals don't, at least. Mm. No, humans can throw things, like, really well, which it turns out was so probably... bad parents for not playing catch in the backyard with our kids? Well, I guess we can do that more. I do it sometimes. But yeah, we, we, we you know, evolved to throw stones, spears, stuff like that. Uh, it was a very useful technology for us being bipedal and everything. 
but anyway, back to this concept of of the tesseract god. So if you lived in a a, a two-dimensional plane and, and you were trying to understand three-dimensional shapes, what they would look like is the shadow of the three-dimensional shape, okay? Mm -hmm. So if you are looking at a cube from the perspective of a two-dimensional plane, you can look at a cube under a light, like have it cast down a light. And the shadow that it's casting on the paper is the two-dimensional representation of that three-dimensional shape. Mm -hmm. And you can spin it around and that two dimensional representation will change. Right. Um, well, four dimensional shapes leave three dimensional representations. And I'll put like a little video of a tesseract here spinning so you can get sort of an idea of what this looks but like. There can be no such thing of a video of a tesseract. No, but there can be a thing of a three dimensional shadow of a tesseract. Okay. okay. As a tesseract is rotating. So when we talk about this from the perspective of religion and we say God is like a tesseract being viewed from different angles, mm -hmm. suppose you were trying to understand a three-dimensional cube from the shadow it's leaving on a sheet of paper. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's various approaches you could take to this, but the way most people do who are like, well, let's stitch together different understandings of the cube is they'll say, okay, on average, what spots are dark, you know, on average, what spots are shadow, or they'll say, what are the spots that are always covered by the shadow? Or, and nobody does this that I'm aware of, but it's kind of what we do. They'll say, like, maximally, what are the spots that are covered by the shadow? Now, if you take the average or the minimum shadow perspective, the shape that you are going to think of is an accurate two-dimensional representation of a cube is going to be a sphere, which is the furthest... It is a much further or much more distant representation of what the cube actually looks like than any individual representation of the cube through its shadow. Mm -hmm. So what we're saying here when we talk about this, this Tesseract God or whatever, right, is while we believe that different revelations of God have been given to different people for their people for their time period, people of that time period and of that cultural tradition most accurately follow what God actually wanted from them and in mm -hmm. a true vision of God by following strictly and as a conservative interpretation their religious system mm. not in trying to stitch it together with other systems so in other words literal translations are, have higher religious fidelity when we're talking about because what you're trying to say is a tesseract is a proxy in this metaphor for god so yes. literal translations of god or the tesseract are higher fidelity than overanalyzed amalgams, averages, minimums, maximums, medians, modes, et cetera, right? Yes. So generally a person who, and, and this is where we, obviously people are like, yeah, but you guys don't do that with your faith. And it's like, yes, but every faith thinks they're a little different and a little better and that they have access to information which allows them to do things that other cultural traditions can't easily do. Of course, everybody thinks their own religion is like a little better than everyone else's. And it gets uh, very smugly, yes. But generally, we think that people are following both a more accurate iteration of God by following the conservative traditions of their faith and, and that they are following a totally true iteration of God. Mm. So what I mean by that is the human mind is unable to 
really conceive of a four-dimensional space. And we think of God as like a, a four-dimensional entity in this, this metaphor. As Winwood Reed writes, the supreme power is not a mind, not a force, not a being, but something higher than a being, something for which we have no words, something for which we have no ideas. When a person is looking at the shadow of a three-dimensional cube, right? Mm -hmm. And they just go as the shadow that was projected. And mm -hmm. they say, this is what a cube is. They are actually saying something that is 100% true. They are seeing a full and complete revelation of that cube as that cube can be revealed to someone of their intellect in that time in history. Okay. But this is also what we believe about religions. People who are following conservative iterations of their religion are actually seeing a full and complete revelation insofar as their mind can understand it. Right. It only gets dangerous when they start to water it down. Or mm, interpret it in some way. <clears throat> well, I mean, try to combine it with different things, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a, a perspective that I haven't really heard anyone... <laughs> sort of talk about or, or preach before, but it is one that feels intuitively true to me when mm. I look at the data and the gifts that are being given to people who stick with stricter iterations of their religious frameworks. Yeah, what I like about it, and, and you and I discussed this offline, was that it reminds me of the, like, four men and an, and an elephant, like blind men and an elephant metaphor where people are like, well, you know, if a bunch of people are all blind and they're all trying to feel an elephant, but they're standing at different angles of it, they're going to have very different descriptions of what they're encountering. But, but it, it, that's you a know, very your bad point, metaphor compared to yeah. this metaphor. Because yeah, your point is that, it, you know, the elephant is knowable by us. Like if, if they weren't blind or if someone turned the lights on, there is an easily seeable elephant, whereas a tesseract is literally something that we are incapable of of picturing accurately, comprehending, et cetera, right? Yeah, well, but not just to that, but it also allows you to point out, you know, with the shadow of the three-dimensional cube and somebody saying, this is a cube, you can say, yes, they are literally correct. That is a cube. Right. Um, and then people will be like, but this seems incompatible with this other revelation by this different prophet. And it's like, yes, that's because you live in a two-dimensional space. Like it's one person holding up one shadow of a cube and another person holding up another shadow of a cube. And they're both saying, these are obviously two different objects. Look at how they're incompatible. Look at this one's point here. Look at this one's point here. And yet they both actually have complete revelations insofar as they are capable of understanding a complete revelation. And keep in mind here that we believe that as humanity develops, their capacity to understand a more complete revelation increases, and it increases at different rates between cultural groups to understand specific aspects of, of a more complete revelation, and therefore a more complete revelation is always being drip-fed to any group that is improving, thus the need for continued profits, and thus why we see this need for intergenerational improvement and intergenerational sharpening of one's mind and understanding of the world to be a religious imperative. As Winwood Reed writes, Persons with feeble and untrained intellects may live according to their conscience, but the conscience itself will be defective. To cultivate the intellect is therefore a religious duty. Any group that has lost the continued prophecy that was promised to them in their original religious text has lost to that because they are not improving enough to understand 
a more complete revelation at this point. Which the elephant story doesn't really do. What I find with the elephant story is that is often used to justify sort of the watered down approach. And a really dangerous source of revelation that a lot of people who use these super soft cultural traditions do yeah. is... <clears throat> psychedelics we talk a lot about this in our book and there's a lot of research on this psychedelics are not a useful source of revelation nor are altered states of mind that are equivalent to psychedelics so you can create similar effects to psychedelics by doing things like chanting not sleeping a lot uh, dancing in a large group stuff like that mm -hmm. and a lot of, of religious traditions have evolved to to do these these sorts of rituals where they'll like chant and march around because it it it, 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 it or you know, bum, 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 you know, music, simple rhythms combined <laughs> with this can create yeah. these effects where you will feel a sense of profundity and go on what we call a, a ghost ride. But we'll talk about what a, a ghost ride is in a second. First, let's talk about the feelings of profundity. So humanity, <laughs> one of the big problems with, with religion as it's revealed to humans is we as people who believe in human evolution and everything like that, we did not evolve in an environment where we were rewarded for correctly recognizing profundity. Humans are unable to recognize profundity, basically. We uh. can create profundity in the human mind with things like psychedelic, with things like group chanting. We mm -hmm. can, uh, or, or like sort of tricking our brains, like quote unquote, thinking about the vastness of the universe and stuff like that can create these senses of profundity. Or thinking about concepts that are vague, but not in and of themselves not fully understandable, i.e. the Trinity would be a, a something like this. To yes. say that God is both fully three separate things and fully one thing, because this statement is, when you talk about Buddhist traditions doing this a lot with uh, cones, mm -hmm. where uh, they'll create the sense of profundity by giving a person a concept which is supposed to not be fully understandable and through it not being fully understandable. So a cone would be something like a tree falls in the forest, does it make a noise? Or what uh, is the what, sound of one hand clapping? What they're actually doing there is gaslighting people. Because there's they're, actually a sound. There was this, one of my former classmates could actually make like, cause I guess his fingers were kind of disjointed, his hand clap. Yeah, so let's talk about what I mean when I say they're gaslighting people with these concepts. Yeah. So if I then went to them and I was like, okay, this is what a sound like, like it's a Yeah, I recorded problem. the sound of one hand clapping. Or I'm like, yeah, or it's a definitional problem, right? Like, yeah. are we defining sound as like vibrations or something? They'd be like, oh no, you don't understand it, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They are showing that you cannot rely on your own internal logic to come to an understanding of reality you have to be submissive to their understanding of reality yeah, a lot of it's gatekeeping and i oh it makes me so mad it was, it well it's, so it's mad. gatekeeping combined with gaslighting they are telling a person that their understanding of the world that they think they know is just wrong mm -hmm. and that the only way to get a correct understanding of the world is to take it from them and so mm -hmm. they use this to pass cultures intergenerationally with fidelity a bit higher but i do not think it's a a good mechanism because it teaches a uncompromising sort of following of your elders in mm -hmm. a way that I think is really psychologically unhealthy. Yeah, and, like a lot of it's it's really kind of like blind following, right? Like you you know, you have to know it's not right, or you have to know they're kind of lying to you, but then you have to develop develop a blind faith regardless, and that's sick. 
yeah, I, 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 I do not have a high opinion of cultural groups that really engage in that over heavily. Uh, but it can also create a feeling of love. Like if you think about a concept like that, but then you're not constantly being gaslit. This is what Catholics do as a trinity. It, because it's it's a not fully understandable concept. Yeah, like inherently to, unknowable by humans. Yeah, it, it begins to fill up a lot of your, your brain. And if you also feel like a safety from that thing or an attachment mm. to that thing, you mm -hmm. will develop a feeling of love towards it or a feeling yeah. of profundity from it, which is similar to like thinking about the vastness of the universe or something like that so right. there's ways you can trick these mental systems and i actually think that that's a healthy thing for a culture to do that's mm. very different than like a master being like you don't understand you know then you you go to uh, the scary ghost train that i'm talking about so when i talk about a ghost train ride right if, if people are familiar from like a a uh, theme park or something like that. You can go on these things called ghost trains where you sit in a train and then these preset experiences, like a ghost falls from the ceiling and goes, boo. And it's like a, a, a set track and a set series of things that you are seeing as you are riding around the tracks. Um, well, that is kind of what psychedelics are. People think they're getting these really unique and personalized experiences for them but mm -hmm. really what they're doing often is just sort of depending on the psychedelic they're taking and we go into this a lot in the pragmatist guide to crafting religion they're going on sort of preset experiences that are just going to have a lot of similarities to everyone there, else there are articles and, and even like there's scientific research on this like that, that people <laughs> describe these very 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 similar and consistent things happening to them yeah, and they're and I should be clear, they're not similar because they're seeing something that's real. Like one of the things that they'll see is like elves that exist mm -hmm. behind reality mm -hmm. and are like <coughs> constructing reality or something. It's the elf hallucination, which is like obviously I don't know, to me that seems obviously stupid. Our, our reality is not constructed by elves. That's what they want you to think. But uh, uh, what it is, is they are sort of activating parts of the human brain where I, I talk about sort of tracks wearing in a road for a really long period of time. Mm -hmm. Where you've ever driven on a ruddy road that a lot of people have driven on, you will get sucked into the tracks that other people have driven on. And then you're sort of stuck in the, the tracks that everyone and you're making them incrementally deeper. Well, mm -hmm. this happened to humans throughout evolutionary history. And we have some of these tracks in our brain, but largely we have gotten good at covering them up. What the drugs drew is they basically uncover these hidden tracks and then snap you onto them and you go through these preset experiences that the higher order human mind has been able to suppress. The um, they are tree. not leading you to truth. They are degrading your understanding of reality through delivering false prophecy, through delivering false information that then people use to try to construct a world perspective. And this is something that we often see in the boomer generation where a lot of them tried to understand the world through, and the hippie generation did this a lot, through these sorts of psychological hacks, like through these ghost train rides. And they end up with really I think very philosophically unsophisticated understandings of reality that lead to them being generally unhappy and unproductive people. That mm -hmm. is generally like all man is love. All religion is love. God is love. We're all one thing. No, I don't. I think that's patently untrue. If we look at the world today, if we look at, I mean, look, not even talking about humans. Like we live in a world where like for a lion to eat, it needs to regularly like kill other animals. Grizzly bears like eat animals alive. Like that's the normal way they kill things. Why? This was not set up by like less chance of getting disease. So what they'll do is they'll maim an animal and then they'll put it in a pile 
with other maimed but dying animals. So maimed enough they can't get away, but they'll keep them alive sometimes for days and then eat them. Well, they like bleed out. Or they're just uh, collecting for later. They're just like collecting. Well, so they, they, yeah, they'll eventually bleed out, but that will be a period from when they're first maimed to when they bleed out that they are not developing disease within them, which is obviously a risk to the grizzly bear. That's why it does this. It's like instead of refrigeration, you just yeah. keep the animal partially alive. That's and then true. they eat yeah. them while they're still alive, of course. Okay. Horrible, horrible way to die, by the way. Yeah. And this Shoot is why I fucking hate bears. grizzly bears. Teddy bears? You know what we're doing with teddy bears? We are teaching kids to not fear bears as much as they should. Bears are monsters and we need to get rid of them. Well, but that's what Theodore Roosevelt was, you know, supporting conservation through hunting. Yes, he was all about killing the bears. Conservation through hunting. He just didn't kill that one bear that was tied up to a tree. He had to do it sportingly. Well, yeah, um, because it's all about good form, which is something that I'm obsessed with. But here's the thing I wanted to discuss on this subject is I think that, you know, a lot of what draws people to religion and what like we would say like you're slightly above average to average and below average constituent or parishioner would need to believe is just like, yes, like what... What is being told to me is true. I am going to heaven, blah, blah, blah. Like this is exactly the way everything works. Everything is true and accurate. And I'm not going to live my life a certain way if like the literal interpretation that my religion has is just like the best we can do with an unknowable concept, right? Like I, I feel like maybe this concept hasn't been discussed at length or people so don't I, like I want to be clear. I do not think the concept is unknowable. I think the concept is unknowable for us. Yeah, but I think our distant descendants will be able to easily grasp totally the Totally agreed. And that's why we um, practice descendant we, worship. But we, I'm still saying, like, I feel like most people wouldn't want to get on board with anything when they know it's being fudged. Hence, that this is not a concept that's palatable to anyone who has religious tendencies because it's too deeply uncomfortable to know that 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 one is doing the best one can at the moment, but one is technically wrong. Wrong in the right direction if they have a hard religion we would argue, yeah, but still wrong, right? Well, no, and that's why we don't just then follow a, a, a traditional hard religion. Because if we didn't believe that, you know, we would just go back to following a traditional hard religion. What right. we think is with this knowledge, an individual through intellectually studying messages, like intellectually studying prophets, which we talk about in our video of like identifying prophets and stuff like that, can not, not, with like drugs or something, not with like meditation, none of this new agey nonsense with like a book and studies and, and time and history and detailed intellectual investigation mm -hmm. can come to truth, but they need to be thinking about it not as this truth is going to be a three-dimensional truth. Mm-hmm. Um, they mm -hmm. need to be, they need to be, if there are these two people arguing about what shape is accurate, they need to say, look, this is a three-dimensional shape we're trying to construct here. We live in the two-dimensional world. This is mm -hmm. why these two things look at odds with each other. While the whole truth can be mapped out by somebody exploring the spaces in between the individual prophets, it is not going to feel like something that an individual human mind can easily wrap itself around. It is going to be something that you can sort of mathematically chart out and get some ideas about, but not something that you can holistically hold in your mind at any time. One thing to note is it definitely does not sound or look like something that you want to hear. 
it doesn't sound like some sort of distributed hedonism, whether that's compassion or love or other euphemisms for hedonism. That it is not true that all religions, whatever they may be, were founded by a real prophet. So, for example, Christ was almost certainly a real prophet. The Jews follow real prophets. Probably Muhammad was a real prophet. Maybe the Mormons follow real prophets. Other than that, there's no groups that I can see are very obviously following real prophets. And obviously we think that one would read with a real prophet or the most recent real prophet. And I do not think that this is a useful thing for most people to do. I think it is a thing that some people can do and some people should dedicate their lives to. But I do so not think- Do they just have it... to lie to everyone else? Like what do you do about the people who cannot be comfortable with an imperfect- No, I mean, I don't think it's our- do I, I think that for most people, they're better off just following a hard tradition from an existing religious framework. I think for the vast majority of people, that is the right answer. That's why I would never try to pull someone away from that path and why in a lot of our advocacy and when we talk to people, we encourage them to go back to their religious traditions, whatever those traditions are. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think that's very weird for people who are like technically secular to do. Why are you pushing people back towards their religious traditions? And we think it is because for the, the average person, that is as close to truth as they are going to get. Hmm. Even from a very intellectual person, that's as close to truth as they're going to get. And this is why we historically in our videos, we took a long time, like hundreds of episodes in before we really started laying out our religious framework, because it's sort of a sad religious framework. And it's like, it's not meant for everyone. People can know that we think it and be like, I want to join you guys. And we can be like, well, then study, right? Like it's, it's not something that is necessarily going to be study, write, communicate, you know, but it almost sort of gatekeeps itself to an extent in that we mm. just don't believe it's meant for everyone. And if mm. we were evangelizing to an average person, that evangelization doesn't look like follow us. It looks like it go back to your traditions because yeah. that's the closest to truth you're going to get. Yeah. Which mm. is a very odd religious framework. And a lot of people will be like, well, that's not going to spread intergenerationally. <laughs> and we'll see with our kids. We'll see with our kids. Yeah. Yeah. We're not saying we're right. We're just saying we're trying our best and we'll see. Yeah. And I really love you, Simone. And I love these religious topics. You know, I love talking to you about this and stuff, but I don't know if our audience likes it. So we can keep them shorter. One I'd love to do is on teddy bears because I really want to do a video on why kids have teddy bears. Just like uh, oh yeah no 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 weird. yeah we've had some fun coverage yeah we have we have theories about this yeah okay well uh, let's anyway i yeah. love you to death and you are a great wife too. you are a perfect husband and i love how clever you are mr tesseract man <sighs> bless i